Welcome to Turning Conscience into Action, the Earth Charter Podcast. Join Miriam Vilela, Earth Charter International Executive Director, in her fascinating conversations with great thinkers, scholars, and activists from around the world who are working in the fields of sustainability, ethics, education, and social transformation. Our purpose is to generate new insights on how to face current global challenges and inspire informed action. For several years during the 90s, a group of scholars and activists interested in spirituality and sustainability met at the beautiful town of Assisi near Rome in Italy for an intensive week of exchange. Many of these meetings were used as part of the consultation around the drafting of the Charter, with the purpose to generate a dialogue to find common ground between people from different cultures and areas of knowledge. Elizabeth Ferrero was the main organizer of these meetings. Right after the Rochata was launched, Elizabeth, together with Joe Holland, published a book titled The Earth Charter, a study book of reflection for action. Today, we have the pleasure of having a conversation with both of them. Elizabeth is professor of ethics and environmental ethics at St. Thomas University. Joe Holland is emeritus professor of philosophy and religion also from St. Thomas University. Thank you for both of you for joining us. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank We're you. Happy Miriam. to be here, be here. So I would like to start our conversation, given the fact that we are celebrating 20 years since the launch of the Earth Charter. And both of you have been involved in the Earth Charter movement for over 20 years. So what do you think is the uniqueness with the strength of the Earth Charter as a document to the current times. Maybe, Joe, do you want to start? Uh, as we know, around the world, with the rise of this new right movement, which I don't think is really populist, but they call it populist, um, there's a hostility to, to anything global. Or, and in fact, globalization has been a, a, a very um, negative thing because it's been guided by a, the neoliberal economic I, I see the Earth Charter as an alternative globalization. I think that would be helpful to say that it's radically different from the neoliberal paradigm, and it seeks to protect the community of life, not simply globally, but also locally, too, at every level. How about you, Elizabeth? Well, I was unbelievably moved, and I still am moved today. This was the very first time that I saw the possibility of a document that could have really bring people together. So this was really a document that now more than ever, its relevancy is really to, to bring people together and, and with a big, big shift of paradigm. Um, there is a, a number of interesting ideas that are articulated in their shatter that helps uh, I think us to to shift our the way we our worldviews you know, to shift our our mindsets. One is Earth community. The other one is the whole idea of respect and care for the community of life. Um, would you? share with us or give us some comments on these key ideas. What does Earth community means to you and the importance of uh, respect and care for the community of life? 
I am teaching right now a course on ethics. And in fact, it's interesting because this coming week, we're going to be looking at the first four principles of the Earth Charter. And basically, one of the reasons that we're doing is we want to look at the first four principles, but then the principle that I'm going to be zeroing in with them is principle number six, which is prevent no harm with the precautionary approach, which is really ties in with the global ethics, or at least within the Christian uh, community is what we call consequentialism, <clears throat> producing the least amount of harm. Uh, and that's how you proceed. But it's interesting because one of the things that, that I did for the students, since these are all online courses, and Joe teaches in the law school, so he can tell you quite a bit about that. But in the undergraduate and the regular ethics course, um, we do um, regular audio lectures. And one of the things that we're going to be discussing a great deal is the big shift of paradigm, going from a reductionist and a mechanistic paradigm into an organic one based on relationships and patterns and networks, all the kind of stuff that Future Capra has been teaching for a very long time. But also now the science is really coming forward. And I think of two big ones that my students in ethics are going to be learning, connecting to the Earth Charter, and that is David Baum and Lipton. So therefore, this incredible synergy that, you know, the Earth community, uh, the shift of paradigm, which is so, so relevant right now for our times. What about you, Joe, in your law um, classes? I teach a course, uh, Miriam, uh, with Professor Mark Wolf. We teach, team teach it. It's called um, <clears throat> United Nations Global Ethics and, uh, excuse me, United Nations Global Governance and Global Ethics. And the global ethics is based on Catholic social teaching. The course was designed, we have a program at the United Nations from the local, where students are the interns either with UN missions or with UN agencies for a full semester and they get a full semester's credit for their third year of law school, which is their final year. Uh, and you know, in the United States, it's a, this is a postgraduate program, not an undergraduate law. Um, and this is to prepare them for that, but other students in, in the law school also have an interest in it and they take it as well. So that, that's, it, it's a seminar that's in jurisprudence. Yeah, well, the, um, we spend a lot of time studying the United Nations, you know, and then issues of global governance. <clears throat> but the, um, we use Catholic social teaching and we actually use two documents um, in Catholic social teaching, Pachim and Terrace, which was published in 1963 uh, by Pope John XXIII and um, Laudato Si, 2015 by Pope Francis. Um, and the students love those. And I used the Earth Charter as it, as it had, was proposed originally to become soft law in the United Nations as akin to the um, International Declaration on Human Covenant on Human Rights. Um, <clears throat> And the student, every year I, I notice the students are much
and now I would say critically aware of the ecological situation, particularly because they live in Miami. Um, so I, I connect back to the, um, actually in the Earth Charter, uh, the idea that we are a critical moment in, in Earth's traffic. Uh, the students are very aware of that. So this idea of cherishing the community of Landa, Laudato Si tends to approach it as ethics, uh, even though it calls for spirituality of uh, ecology, ecological spirituality. But in fact, Laudato Si doesn't really develop that. And I put a lot of emphasis on that, on the ecological spirituality that are that that spirituality comes to all humans through the earth from the earth and that we participate in the spirituality it's very interesting in the uh, book of genesis the narrative in, uh, of adam uh, the creation of adam from the you know the slime of the earth it says actually the hebrew word is chadamach which means earth but it's feminine and adam is not a proper name but it's really it, what it means literally in Hebrew is the earth creature. So the Chadam comes forth from the Chadama, almost like the earth creature from the earth mother. And thus we are creatures of earth and our spirituality is from the earth and comes from that. That's, um, that was a very important thing to Thomas Berry. I think the, uh, all the earth creatures, not just the human, but all the earth creatures are part of our family is, um, as indigenous traditions and Francis of Assisi said that the plants and the animals are our sisters. And the, the divine mystery is revealed in and through the earth and in, th in and through all the creatures. That's the source of the earth spirituality and its presence is felt through that and nourishes us. And with that energy, then we can begin to pursue ecological ethics as a, as a result of that. Has, you have also been uh, uh, studying St. Thomas, uh, uh, Francis. You have been studying St. Francis yeah. and Thomas Berry for many years. And you yeah. have been relating yeah. their teaching also to the Earth Charter. Yeah. Am I yeah. right? Absolutely. And I think, I think to sort of coda to what Joe is saying, is this, you see it right now, it's not just a very incredible time for the Earth Charter, but it's the right time. Because this oneness with the, with the natural world, which uh, St. Francis talked about it, lived it, Tom Berry and the students in the classes with Joe are finding it so important. But the science world is now showing us that that's exactly what we're made of. Not just, and again, it's not just Brian Swim who has, I don't know if anybody has looked at his podcast of late, but they're unbelievable. But again, this oneness with the natural world is now shown that by, by scientists, that it's really what we're all about. And that we need to look at you know, the wiring of our own, not just the intellectuals of mind, but also our cellular uh, system, and which we all share with all forms of on earth. And that I think is so important. And, it, and I know that Fijo Capra teaches it, but I think there are others who go even further to talk about the importance of the cellular level. So I think it's, this could not be a better time for people to really understand the full meaning of the Earth Charter. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, these are uh, concepts that uh, we still need to to work on in terms of um, bringing it to the consciousness of people. You know, the whole notion yeah. of Earth community that we are part of an Earth community. Yeah. Um, yeah, the whole notion of community of life certainly gives another angle and another meaning in terms of how we relate to to other living beings and species. Now, I would like to talk a little bit about ecological civilization um, because in early 2003, I believe, you wrote a book together uh, that you called The Earth Charter, a study book of reflection for action, which I understand was first published in Italian, then in Portuguese, and finally in English in 2005. In that book, you offered a detailed commentary on the entire shadow document, and you talk about the need for a new planetary civilization. You made then a call for a new ecological planetary civilization. So I would like to ask you to share with us, uh, with our audience, what do you mean by an ecological civilization? I think we have to make that central because it's clear now that it's impossible to do things that will heal the earth in any dramatic way within the framework of the current civilization. Every day, the current civilization is more destructive. That would, that would be my first point. We really, and, but, but it won't do any good to do frontal challenges to the current civilization because the forces of repression are so, so vicious and so dangerous and they will kill many people and torture them and imprison them as happened earlier in several long waves across Latin America and elsewhere. Uh, up again. Um, and the second point is that this civilization must, in addition to be ecocentric, it has to be humanistic because there has been in the ecology movement and there still are today, uh, a certain strain of eugenics, which um, wants to eliminate poor people and, you know, and save rich people. We had that very strongly in the United States. Most of the business class was in favor of the eugenics movements in the beginning of the early half of uh, it, it, the, the movement to uh, eugenics, um, uh, it means good birth, uh, it, a movement into that only certain races or certain kinds of people are worthy of living and we should reduce the population of the others. Uh, it, originally it meant white Europeans and particularly from Northern Europe. Uh, the Darwin family was very heavily involved in it. Charles Darwin's son uh, was the, uh, was the uh, internet president of the International Eugenics Congress, the first one to do that, <laughs> very powerfully. So uh, the eugenics movement came from England and the United States, and it, it was, it's what Hitler was pursuing. Uh, only the, only the um, master race should survive. For him, it was white Aryans. Uh, it was also Anglo-Saxons, uh, Anglo uh, who were two German tribes in England that that the people in the United States were, were celebrating. And certainly uh, in the new right, we see that coming back in the United States again, the, that these other races are inferior. So, and uh, I think therefore we have to make a very important point that is to defend humans along with all the other humans or with all the other creatures. Uh, not, that, not that we have to increase population that but we have to defend human rights as the Earth Charter does. And therefore, I think from the viewpoint of resisting against eugenics, 
in, in, the, in the context of pursuing an ecological civilization, the Earth Charter becomes supremely important uh, because there are maybe certain countries in the world that would want to be pursuing an ecological civilization, but they don't believe in human rights. Uh, I won't mention any in particular, but they're very powerful and very strong. Uh, they look upon um, human rights as only a Western doctrine, but not a universal. So That's you, about you all envision, I have to say about that. You envision ecological civilization as ecocentric and, and also brings the human as part of it, right? Human rights, yes, and democracy, I think. Mm. Elizabeth, um, how, what do you, how do you envision or what do you mean from your perspective, Elizabeth, uh, what is uh, ecological civilization and especially how important that is? I think it's, I'd like to just say a few words a little bit about this, how this book came about and the concept of uh, ecological civilization that it tried very hard uh, to bring forward to the reader. But in 2002, in August 2002, during you know, the, this, this very difficult period of time in Johannesburg in South Africa, when the when the urge harder there were question about principle seven and principle eleven, and the publisher that was going to be publishing the book that Joe and I wrote um, decided that he was not going to publish it, and um, there were other scenarios connected to that because these two principles, according to the opposing view, seemed to be saying that the urge charter was proposing abortion, which obviously is totally untrue, unfound in every sense of the way. And consequently, the book had no way of going with no publisher. And it was only because a group of uh, friends of mine in Italy, uh, all in academia, decided that this was not going to be, this book was too important an ecological civilization dialogue was supposed to be. This was the time. And they got together and very quickly, two of them were able to translate it into Italian. And not only to translate it into Italian, but a huge gathering, which was attended by Tom Berry, as well as by Joe Holland and his wife, Paquita and others, all over Italy. Uh, we started in, in Milan, then we went to Rome, and then we went to one of the most beautiful places, Castel del Monte in Puglia, <clears throat> where um, we had roundtable discussion about the Urge Harder book that we just wrote about the need for this ecological civilization when it came into being. But the question that I want to emphasize besides the struggle and all that we went through is the fact that this concept of ecological civilization and a civilization that starts understanding that without being oneness with the natural world, we are not going, and that was long time ago. So today in 2020, 
as we are heading a very dark period in American politics, we are seeing more than ever the need to bring the discourse of the ecological civilization, which is central to the Earth Charter, back on the table, not just in universities and colleges, but for the people of, who walk the streets of every place on Earth to become aware of its importance, its significance, and that without it, we are not going to be able to make it as a, as a human civilization. Mm. So you think their shutter can play a role as, as um, an instrument that frames a vision uh, of an ecological civilization? As before Johannesburg. But this is, this is, this is what it is. And I think it needs to, to be an instrument, yes, for universities and colleges, but it needs to be able to regain its importance. Because I think in those 16 principles, there is the key to the change of paradigm, the organic paradigm that we need desperately to change quickly in order to, yeah. Yeah. So, uh both of you, you have taught ethics uh, for so many years. Um, you are really, really experts on global ethics, environmental ethics. However, uh, from my, the, my point of view, ethics is really being um, misunderstood and um, uh, probably many people don't really see the value or the importance of it. Um, so I would like to ask you to share with us, how do you teach global ethics? How do you teach environment ethics? And, and how have you used their... Okay. I, teach it, I teach it in a very simple way. After teaching and for 33, well, not 33 years, but for a long time, um, for many, many years, we, in fact, we used, we, Joe and I developed a course, which was called the Earth Charter at St. Thomas University. And we taught that regularly, and we usually were able, we did not have 50 students, but we always had enough students to be able to make the course. Uh, now, in the regular ethics course, I tried many different things. I tried to use the document itself. I tried to take pieces of it, or start from the end or the beginning. Uh, as of late, what I discovered that works best, and this could be a hint for those people who are teaching on the undergraduate level, especially students who have no knowledge, is to really start from where they are, which is no knowledge at all about ecological civilization, about an earth community, and so forth. And to really take them from one something that they need to know, which is consequentialism starting from Aristotle, what you ought to do to achieve the good life. In other words, whatever decision you make, you have to cause the least amount of harm. And I start with principle number six, right there after doing consequentialism. And it seems to be effective because when they look at the precautionary approach that you, you have to prevent harm at all costs, in order to be able to keep humanity on the, on the face of this planet, 
it clicks and then I go into principle number seven, which is of course the patterns of production and to save, in order to safeguard the earth bounty and the earth regenerative capacities and all of that. So in other words, I start from where they are and I amplify and I take it from there. Um, there are times that I can do four or five major principles and there are times that I can do even more. But what it does allow is for them to really get into the earth charter and to be able to understand where to, something that it makes sense to them and how they can apply it into their life. They never forget principle number six. They never forget principle seven. Even in my conversation after they graduate, when they talk to me, usually sometimes they refer without being aware at those two major. Yeah. So Joe, how about you? How have been your experience in teaching? Uh, well, maybe I might say something first about my own <clears throat> understanding of ethics as you know, uh, professor of philosophy for many years. In, and I'm, I, I wrote about this in a recent book called The Postmodern Ecological Spirituality. And I'm developing a little expansion of modern philosophy. So I, I'm not surprised that students are um, skeptical about ethics and, and not, don't normally get turned on to it as, as a system or anything. Because in my view, modern, modern Western philosophy and ethics is, is part of that, modern Western ethics. Uh, is bankrupt, absolutely bankrupt. It's based on f the, f the erosion in the advanced world of modern society that its communities are collapsing, where our community with nature is collapsing, our community with each other is collapsing, families are collapsing, uh, because individuum is, the individual, the atomos is what it's based on her writings, but she's been very helpful. So. The, in all of modern physics, whether it's Dion, modern, uh, modern um, uh, ethics, whether it's uh, Kantian deontological ethics or Anglo-American um, <clears throat> utilitarian ethics are, are absolutely bankrupt, I think. They're, they've been shown not to work. They're, ju they're just the logic of, of uh, capitalism, uh, atomized view of the world. So once you shift to the other, ethics is really derivative of cosmology. So once you make the shift to the other cosmology and you begin to put a, develop a, a form of ethics that is relational, it's inescapable because we're part of nature, we're part of the earth, we're related to each other, we're part of each other really. Uh, then you, then uh, students in my mind, in my experience begin to open that way. I find it works with students. And I, I always begin with a, a, a philosophy course with an essay I wrote back in the middle of the eighties for, of human culture. Uh, I, I rename them in simpler form, the primal, classical, modern, and postmodern. And uh, students really like that. They see that that is a story. They're, they're part of an organic developing tradition. And this new moment is very critical because we really do have to have to save the life system of planet Earth, including, including ourselves within it. And if we don't, the, the very close future, approximate future looks quite catastrophic. So I, I, I've had a good experience teaching ethics um, systemically, provided we, we develop an ethics grounded in new cosmology. And I think that the Earth Charter does that. It speak about 
cosmology, but very clearly it's, it's grounded in the new cosmology and, and what I would call a holistic relational, what I would have so, to say about it. so needed nowadays, no? So I guess uh, both of you know well the two popes encyclical. Uh, yeah. It's a quite unique that he launched uh, in 2015, Laudato Si, and in 2020, the new encyclical called Fratelli Tutti. Uh, would you make some comments about what you find in terms of the importance of these uh, two encyclicals and how? My actually, uh, my, my, my primary field of study is, is Catholic social teaching encyclicals. The modern encyclical tradition began in 1740. That's, uh, I say humorously, when the popes finally accepted the printing press. They were a little late, but they, they, they accepted it. Um, but they, they, these, are, uh, these papal encyclicals are instruments of discernment. So what's going on, uh, in this case, Catholic Christians, or more recently, broadly, as an invitation to everyone to uh, try and find a, a creative response to what the great crises we're experiencing. Laudato Si was a long time coming. Actually, I think, in my analysis of Catholic social teaching, the one who begins the ecological turn in Catholic social teaching is John the Twenty Third. I won't have time to go into how that is, but um, he called he called for a a a, um, a new civilization. Before up until that point, Catholic social Leo the Thirteenth, who was elected in eighteen seventy eight. He had been, um, set, and before that, by the way, the, the popes were rejecting the modern world. The most famous Pio Nono, the, the, the uh, Pius IX, issued an infamous something called the Syllabus Verus, in which he condemned the entire modern world. Uh, Leo uh, the Thirteenth, uh, who had been in the papal diplomatic corps and later the Archbishop of Perugia, he um, he changed the strategy completely. In a, in a powerful way with Laudato Si. So that's so important. And now I think the, the Vatican is completely behind the need to create a new civilization. What happens in, in, um, in, uh, in uh, Fratelli Tutti, and there is a negative side to Fratelli Tutti because begins with an Italian phrase, of course, that uh, speaks to men, not to women, although immediately thereafter it says men and women. Um, but clear, clearly the Catholic Church has a, a huge handicap in its leadership that is um, almost blind in this area of the, of the legacy of, uh, of misogyny in the Western Christian tradition and, uh, and, 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 and fear, actually, I think spiritual fear of the feminine as well. So that's a handicap earlier in a meeting that Elizabeth and I were in. Uh, that I see it as a, what they call in French a cri de coeur, a cry of the heart. Francis is crying out, especially for migrants, what's happening. So many people have already become, have already become um, environmental, ecological refugees, you know, by the ecological devastation through war or, or drought or famine that has been inflicted upon them. We have millions and millions of ecological refugees, including from Central America, as you, as you probably are very well aware, Miriam. And, and they're suffering tremendously from the drought and they're not able to survive as farmers any longer there. And so this is a cry that the entire social system, the ecological system, is really breaking down from the familial level all, 
all the way up to the uh, into the United Nations. It's not working. It's not working. Uh, he he doesn't really propose much of a solution, but he's putting this on the table before us that it really is fundamentally breaking down. Now I think in response to that, without you know being officially saying it, um, of an organic ecological civilization, and it does reflect the ethical vision of an of an organic understanding of the human community and the human family. So it becomes ever more powerful as the crisis becomes, mm. you know, with a kind of personal flavor to it. Yeah, Elizabeth, um, what are your thoughts on these uh, two popes encyclical and how it links? I'm not going to say very much on that, but I want to talk about two things that are happening as a result that I think are extremely important. And we talked, you talked about synergy, and I see a, such an important connection with the Arjari. First of all, it's one of the things that, he, that the Pope keeps saying, at, especially after he wrote the second encyclical, Laudato Si. He said, children are the prophets of the future. And if you look, and I look quite a bit of his, what he writes once a week or when, every two weeks or whenever something comes out from him, that seems to be coming out every single time. The children are the prophets of the future. In other words, the importance of connecting with the youth because it's the youth. And I think not just formally in high schools or in regular colleges and universities, but the importance of the charter, how the charter and Laudato Si, especially Laudato Si, can interconnect through the youth. And the Vatican is doing an awful lot of stuff along these lines. Some of it unfortunately was, was, um, could not come to pass because of the coronavirus and therefore there were only remnants of it. But lately, I heard that it's definitely next year when we're going to be out of this chaos and nightmare that he's going to start again. But there's another important element that I would hope that the Earth Charter is connected with, and that Universita del Sentido, the University of the Feeling that he started he started this many, many, many years ago in Argentina, but then he picked it up again after Laudato Si, connecting the youth at the not, and the, interesting enough, I followed every, I immediately connected myself with their weekly and bi-weekly meetings, and it's all youth oriented, and it's in the hands of youth. I am sure there are others who are actually taking the reins and helping the youth to come through. But it would be wonderful to see the Urchara connecting, especially with the Universidad del Sentido, because I have a feeling after the coronavirus, the Pope is going to give even more importance to this as, as a way of having the youth. He already had a huge conference in October which was minimized, of course, because again of the coronavirus. And only people up to 35 years old could attend it. And it was, un except for some of the experts who came in. And this is one of the ways that the Earth Charter could interface 
with Laudato Si. And of course, with uh, Fratelli Tutti, which as you know, Joe already mentioned, in Italy, every woman in academia has been up in arm whenever this title came out. We are excluded. What is the folk thinking we are? Blah, 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 kind of stuff. Um, but yes, and, and um, I felt I, you know, Joe already expressed my feelings as well about it. But Laudato Si, it's a very, very important document which definitely, I think the Charta needs to connect in many ways. And my, my um, feeling and recommendation is that it ought to connect along the Key ideas in the I, I just want to thank you very, very much, Miriam, for listening to our thinking today. Thank you so much. No, I, I am the one who wants really to thank you for, for joining us today and for sharing uh, your knowledge and your experience. Uh, my intention here is to share with a bigger audience uh, this knowledge and, and hopefully reach many people. Thank you. Thank you. If you like this episode, please share it and support our movement by making a donation. This podcast is developed by Earth Charter International as part of our work as UNESCO Chair on Education for Sustainable Development with the Earth Charter. For more information, visit our website at earthcharter.org.